my revenue had dropped out. I'm a first-time founder. And here I was being tested with basically going back to square one, except now that I had people that relied on me. And this is when we turned to, to learning. Hey guys, welcome back to the show. This is your host, Robin Copernicus, and we are joined by an amazing founder. He is the CEO and co-founder of Water, that's W-O-T-T-E-R. We have Frazier Duncombe on the show. Frazier, welcome. Tell us a little bit about yourself and the inspiration behind Water. Thank you. Uh, yeah, no, great, great to be here. The thing for me, I started off pretty much like all of us, I think, with a few rubbish jobs. And I, I found myself not enjoying work which to some people that, that that may be fine but i'm of the opinion that i think we should all we all deserve to, to enjoy work so my mission became out of that a mission to make work better whatever that means to different people i'm aware that it means different things to different people there are different environments there are different working environments and and, and that's absolutely valid but ultimately we can always i think make work better so it's been a bit of a rough ride. It's been a weird journey with a, with a number of pivots that's got us to this point. But as it stands and going forward, Water is a platform that measures the effectiveness of employee engagement initiatives. So we're a, a fairly traditional SaaS model. We work with companies ranging from 50 staff up to, to multiple hundreds of staff. Our sweet spot is 150 to 250 staff. And we, we survey uh, employees, we take notes, we do various data an analytics on that, a uh, little bit of machine learning, there's a few smart algorithms in there. But ultimately, if we can create the data that shows that employee engagement initiatives are working, then that means the people who are on the receiving end of those initiatives are getting the most out of work. So that's the, the sort of complete journey from one end to the other. How long have you been working on this project? So we, we moved uh, out of our, our jobs, myself and my co-founder, about, I think it's two and a half years ago, it may well be three and a half, I, I can't really remember. And it's been uh, since then that we've been fully focused. Before that, it was it was on the kitchen table after, after work for about six months, uh, just to get everything in, in place before we made the jump. Okay. So you gave me like the, you know, PowerPoint presentation version of the inspiration, but if you, so people listening in, if you actually go to Fraser's LinkedIn, he has this amazing bio. He says it's outdated, but it's hilarious the way he, the way he sets it up. And one of the sources of inspiration was actually a little bit of liquor and also a lot of red meat. This episode is a very special episode. Smoke them if you got them, bring your glass. Cause actually let's see, Fraser, hold your glass up, toast it. Fraser actually brought a glass of whiskey to the invite and and in his linkedin bio he actually mentions that a lot of people compare him to ron jeremy and if you were actually able to meet fraser really witty guy really blunt i would definitely say like very ron jeremy-esque how did you come up with the bio and how would you actually change it to to encompass the kind of pivots that you've been on so it's yeah i started off as a sales manager with a team and and i have always been a, a far bigger believer that the carrot's greater than the stick there's plenty of debate over that over the years on that so what i wanted to do was i, I created a, a system this is nothing new really but i created a, a system that rewarded output as well as outcomes of, of various metrics and, and things that people did and what i wanted to do was provide a reward for it i wanted at the end of the week to say hey you there you did the best so here's your reward what I found was that I was very busy and I'm also very forgetful. What tended to happen is I walked with them to, to the local supermarket at, at lunchtime and uh, they chose a bottle of, of 
rum because it was uh, often the same person and they really liked rum. So that's all, all uh, well and good. But uh, I sort of thought to myself, there's, there's got to be something better here. There's got to be a better way to do this. So the original idea was a managed incentive service that allowed sales managers to, to or pr basically pre-order with a bit of uh, sort of smart tech aspect in there to, to be able to give the right people the right things and maximize um, the effectiveness of them. This then moved out a uh, wider scale. We realized we didn't just need to focus on sales. So we moved into just employee gifting in general. And then a natural progression from that was employee events. Been lucky to run some huge events and we were lucky to plan some incredible events that unfortunately got cancelled by COVID. As you can imagine, uh, a business that was centred around moving people out into the community and, and being with each other, I think our revenue dropped from looking absolutely fine and we're all good and we just hired someone to, to being nothing overnight, literally nothing. And that was uh, terrifying. Couple of, I gave up sleep for a while and uh, took up yet more whiskey. But I mean, yeah. God, it sucked. COVID sucks for everyone, right? And it, and no, no one has won out of this, except Amazon. But it, it yeah. definitely reshuffled yeah. the whole deck for everyone. Absolutely, and I think it's really brought into into mind uh, Warren Buffett's statement that it's only when the tide goes out that you learn who's not wearing any swimming trunks. That it's, it's fantastic to to observe those who've done fantastically and, and those who, who've fallen. But we. It allowed us to think, really. Going to, to zero revenue was tough, very tough indeed. But it, I've always instilled in the company and, and all of our employees that learning is the most important thing you can do. I spend at least an hour and a half a day uh, learning. I take a break on the weekends. And I insist that my employees spend between half an hour and an hour, if not more, learning every day. We set up a fund that allows people access to, to courses. We buy books that anyone wants, etc. Et so the amount that you can learn out there is pretty incredible. And I, I, I was never um, a mathematician per se, but I always uh, very much enjoyed uh, maths when I was uh, at school. Math, I think, is that side of the, of the pond. But what this meant for me was that we were... The cool way to say it is maths, by the way. Like that, even, even the US, we're just going to start that trend right now. It's maths. Okay, cool. It's definitely sure. maths. It's, <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, it's always been maths. Um, <laughs> exactly. The, I, I, I actually do have a question for you with this COVID thing, because this go, is like go, serious, go, go. right? Your entire business is wiped out. Your revenue went down to zero. And I'm actually surprised you're thinking about learning. Walk me through how you were feeling in this, when you were in the state, how much runway you actually had and, and what kind of decisions you're making. Because a lot of other founders would think, okay, now I have to start laying off people or what do I do? And you're actually thinking about learning. What was the thought process? How much runway did you have and how did you balance? all these you know different decisions and go towards this one so we were we were and and have always been bootstrapping and thus our runway was approximately two months this was based on the the revenue that we were also that we were getting in but we were actually at the time investing in in someone to create an mvp for us which was aiming to take our uh, incentives and events into a bit more of a digital space and allow us to be a bit smarter with what we were, were doing with them. And I still remember and still hate the conversation where I had to call another small company and tell them that I wasn't going to be able to pay them. And that I'm afraid there weren't any questions, there weren't any ifs and there weren't any ifs. 
ties from a contractual point of view it was a force majeure covid had hit and i had to make a decision do i pay my staff or do i pay my supplier and i couldn't do both so that was the the, the decision that i made and then we so we kept our staff on we were very lucky in the uk we had something called the furlough scheme which meant that you could temporarily lay off staff they were still on your payroll and effectively the government paid their paid their wages while they weren't working for you but we just i mentioned earlier we'd, we'd hired someone just before this happened who has we'll, we'll come back to later because he's a, a real winner out of the learning but we had two two people at the time who we had to put on this furlough scheme and unfortunately i'd love to be able to sit here and say we turned things around and then they how, how big is your us, but they're not how big is your team size at this point? We're six. Okay. So, so we're, yeah, we're by no means uh, gigantic. <laughs> I think far from, but no, it's, yeah, six, six of us. We also have a healthy board. Our board is actually also six, although three of the, of the company are on the board, so there's nine in, in But that's been... So you have three six years. people on the team, two are... Yeah, sorry, sorry, it was five at the time. Five, five on the team, two are furloughed. Yeah, yeah. So we're down to three, and we're very limited by the government on on what we can do. But with those furloughed staff, effectively, we can do nothing. And if we want them to work, we have to pay. It's fair enough, really. But unfortunately, as I've mentioned, no runway, suppliers being dropped. We're just in a situation where the, the money's tight, and that's that, really. So a few difficult decisions back to back. And initially, we we started looking at what can we do in this space. I think one of the I, I had a lot of conversations at the time with HR directors who are my my decision maker when it comes to these companies, and, and I, I asked them. Uh, I, it was the question I always ask: How long do you think we'll be until we're back in the office? And this is in in March, and uh, without fail, the answer was May. And I thought there's something a bit wrong here, isn't it? But I think we all thought that, weren't we? We were all terrified. We all didn't know what this was going to do. I remember reports coming out that the army were getting ready to, to help in terms of the police not being able to operate. So there was this terror and yet this weird kind of, maybe it's a British thing, feeling that we were all going to be back to normal in, in only a month or two. And so we were trying to create a system where people could have virtual events or have gift boxes, packages, etc. And we received a little bit of success from this, but no one felt that what we were doing was important because we were, they felt that this was only going to come to an end in, in two months' time. Therefore, we'll just focus on what we're going to do then and get into where we And I kept talking to people. I kept asking, when do you think this is going to end? When do you think we're going to be back in their offices? And every time, it's two months from this point. So by the time May came around, I asked them. I said, oh, it's July. When July came around, I said, oh, it's going to be. And so I remember feeling just a bit lost, totally lost. My revenue had dropped out. I'm a first-time founder. I'd clearly made some decisions that had gone well. I've made plenty of decisions that haven't. And here I was being tested with basically going back to square one, except now that I had people that relied on me and one of whom I couldn't furlough. This is when we turned to, to learning. We'd been learning before, but I think this is where we really wrapped it up. And I, I mentioned earlier, I, I, I've always had a thing for maths, but I'd never delved into coding. And I'd always felt that it's like, I'm here, I'm a sales guy. I actually started life as a carpenter. Coding's not me. And coding's for that guy over there. And so if I need code, then he's the guy I go to. But it was my co-founder turned around to me once in a meeting and said, Fraser, I've been learning Flutter, which is uh, Google's latest language for mobile development. And he says, 
I think if we want to build an app, I think I can do it. And I remember rolling my eyes and laughing and saying, no, you can't. Which luckily my co-founder expected. And so he wasn't too pissed off with me. But he convinced me, he kept going, he said, you know, seriously, like, I've done a little bit here. Like, it's not going to be the best thing in the world, but it's going to, it's going to be there. It's going to work. It's going to be fun. And I'm thinking, Christ, looking out the window, picturing the zombie apocalypse and thinking, God, what else can I do? So I said to Paul, I said, here's your brief. If you can make this work, then it's a go. And off the back of that, I started learning to code. And off the back of that, Jamie, the, the chap that we couldn't furlough, learned to code. And I'm now hopefully fairly close to being a Google data engineer. Oh, my phone's just... <laughs> I've got a Google phone. They're listening. I, yeah, that's it. They're, oh, yeah. what's that? He's talking about us. I'm looking to become a qualified data engineer. Paul has gone from strength to strength in Flutter. We're just in the process of releasing our web app, which is done off the same code base as our mobile and both our Android and iOS apps. Jamie is pretty... He was already... He had knowledge of HTML and CSS, but he's now uh, pretty fully fledged in Python and, and JavaScript. So it's been a really interesting ride just to sit there and say, what can we learn here? What can we do? And so that was when we we built this product and, and said, okay, data is what we need now. If we're, if we're gonna, there's what is one thing to manage people's events incentives. It's an event and incentive management company. It's an agency. That's fine. But to to really get uh, value in the way that we saw it, what we had to do was access the reason uh, why these decisions were being made. Why are we renting out a historical vessel for a for an end of year party? It was amazing. The Royal Navy ship unfortunately got cancelled due to COVID. But we sat there saying, this is great. Is it going to work? And, and we realized that there was a real opportunity there. And uh, so I spoke to, to a lot of people. I think there's a theme here that I like speaking to people and getting their input on it. I'm aware that I'm doing most of the talking here, so perhaps I'm not. No, no, Fraser, this is insane. <laughs> most people, when most people pivot, they let go of their team and they, they start doing other things and they change the team. But instead of changing the team, you've quote-unquote change the teams what i mean is like I, I, the way you were describing it i imagine that you guys were just all sitting around these matrix chairs plugging your brains into downloading this code software and you did it in such a short amount of time and now you put it out there and so where are you at with water so we we're now fully focused on our mission as i mentioned earlier that water is a, is a platform that measures the effectiveness of employee engagement initiatives we have uh, our mobile apps live. We have a number of users. We've been working with a, with a group in the UK called the REC, which are the Re Recruitment and Employment Confederation. Now, they're the de facto governing body of recruitment in the UK with um, 17,000 subscribers and further than that on their, on their social media. And we've been working with them now since February to co-create product recruitment has is a very interesting market from an employee engagement perspective because ultimately your company is only as good as your employees and your employees are only as good as how engaged they are and that's the case in, in lots of other things that used to work in, in, in workwear more engaged employees more sales you know better product to some extent but ultimately you're still selling a, a t-shirt with your logo on it the t-shirt doesn't, doesn't change so recruitment was an obvious one for us, and we've been working uh, with them now, and we're actually just about to go live in the next couple of weeks with a with an exclusive partnership out to all of their members, which is going to open the doors quite beautifully. So we, in order to get ahead on, on that curve, we created the Founders Club, 
and we decided we, we thought okay we're, we're in this situation we, we've got a product it's been tested it's not been mass tested like we've tested it we've got 100 users so 100 users it is, is great it gives us some really interesting feedback it gives us a lot of insights on how it's working we can look at metrics on how people are navigating the app and we can improve ux with that but it's not 10,000 users it's not a hundred thousand users it's not a million users both from a learning perspective and of course a revenue so we said we're going to create the founders club and the founders club guarantees a price for life so we, we charge but we charge three pound fifty per employee per month for life and regardless of we're working on a price closer to eight uh, pounds a month once we, we get out of the Spanish Club, but the Founders Club will, will never be uh, affected. And then we're setting up through our links from events, but we've set up, there's a, a rather well-known place in the UK called Goodwood, which you may not have, probably haven't heard of. Festival of Speed is a sort of global event that's held at Goodwood. But we're going to invite all of the founders every single year to an event that we throw to get them not only to talk to each other about how they use our product, but also, of course, talk to us. So if we can create these channels of trusted people that we can go to and say, hey, there's this new feature coming out. What would you like to, to see in that feature? Or here's something that we're working on in the long run. What's the most powerful thing for you? If you could have one of this list, or choose whatever the question is. By gathering that answer, we can make sure that we're constantly working at the sort of cutting edge of what the customers want. Because ultimately, like, they're the important people, right? Their opinion matters far more than mine does. I can sit here and say, I want to do this, that, and the other. But it's like if the customer wants something, especially if customers on mass want something, that's the direction that's important. How many users are on your app right now? As in, at this exact moment? Yes. Or very, none, because it's, I, I can say that without looking, because it's Sunday evening. So we're, we're very Let me much check my reports real quick. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> no, there's, there's zero right now. As a company-based SaaS platform, our, our peak time is Friday afternoon. So we send out an email notification and a push notification on Friday afternoon. And we have a specific question every Friday. We, just, we simply ask, how's your week been? We ask every single so, user. I guess I, I didn't mean like in real time, like right now, but just how many users are signed up on the platform? A hundred. Okay. And then, so I'm guessing these are the end users. If there are a hundred yes. users, how many companies are actually signed up? Okay, so that's amazing. You have two companies that you signed up. How, how long ago was this when you signed them up? So one one one's the REC who I mentioned, and the other one's a test uh, company that we've been working with actually for for a uh, year now. They're a, a financial services company based in the Midlands, in the UK. And uh, yeah, we've been building along alongside them. I mean. I'll be honest, it's not necessarily been for, for lack of trying. It's we've wanted to to build that list and we haven't always found the best way to do it. And I think it's very easy to blame COVID and I'm wary of doing it, but I think especially with the state, I don't know what the state, I think it depends where you are in America, doesn't it, as to how, the, how COVID's really going. But here we've had people opening up, which has presented both a really interesting opportunity for us and we've had a lot of interesting conversations, but most of them are like, I've got kind of stuff to do right now, so can we talk in a couple of months? And that's it's tough to deal with. As a founder, you think that you've got something, you've spoken to lots of people, you've read the mum test, the questions to ask, you think that no one's just giving you what you want to hear. And then it comes to crunch time, you want them to get the wallet out and that's not always as easy as it as you want it to be. It's a process, right? It's not like you're supposed to just come up with this company and have millions of users right away, but yeah. you already have 
two companies signed up there's 100 users this is great traction this is going to take you to the next um, step what is the next step what is the dream for water so short-term next steps is um, the REC launch and I've got a number of uh, companies I've been speaking to with about the Founders Club recently and I'm, I'm uh, glad to say that it looks like that's going to change quite, quite a bit. Where's the goal? We've already been lucky to do some work in the US. We've worked in Asia and in South Africa and Mexico and Germany. So the, the list continues when it comes to events and, and corporate incentives. I think of course the next thing is to expand that and the thing that interests me, of course, revenue is one thing, right? Like we, we can't really exist without revenue. Well, you can exist without revenue. You just can't exist forever. But the thing that's really interesting to me in my mission to make work better is to say, what does that look like? What does that look like from the top of England to the bottom of England? What does that look like from England over the channel to France? What does that look like from England to India, to China, to America? How do people work in, in, in different ways? And how can we use information from other areas from other companies from other regions to to make work better everywhere is there something that i've missed because right i've only ever worked in the uk is there something that america all american companies do and no english companies do that i just need to to be able to to access and say wow this would be really cool if we can get people in the uk doing this then work's going to get better that's how i how i get excited Okay. When you're talking about how important employee happiness is, employee engagement, what metrics are you actually using to track this? The obvious one is retention. And the reason why I reach for retention is it's also the one that most companies are immediately interested in because it's the one that affects their bottom line the most. But you've then got further further metrics with regards to productivity and also the what I call sentiment, but I'm sure other people have got, got a lot of other names for it. But just... We track over 24 different categories from well-being to trust in the company, how well people collaborate within their team externally, how well they're managed, how loyal they are to the company and, and its mission and its values. So, yeah, you've got you've got some various things there. You've got, the, as I said, the initial um, retention of people sticking around. You've got the productivity that they're creating. And then you've got this sort of sentiment that, that allows you to, to pull the levers and create things further down the line. I think that's really where we come into our own, that it's not difficult to track retention. You simply look at how many people joined, how, how many people left, how many people left that you didn't want them to leave, etc, etc. You can metric all of that. But you're always looking at it after the fact. And normally you've got a bit of a knock-on delay. So if people, uh, it's largely agreed that people show signs that they're going to leave a position about nine months before they do, they start to drop off in productivity and all of that. If you're looking at retention data from the last year, potentially you're like 18 months behind the curve. You're con constantly kind of playing catch up on a game that's that's moving on all the time. So what we want to do and, and where the, these metrics get interesting uh, with regards to, yeah, as, as I say, alignment with values or whether people feel that they can collaborate with team members from other teams is you can start spotting the problems far before they hit your retention stat. And actually you can adjust them before your retention stat drops and you can actually preemptively increase it instead. I, I think we, we can all see where the benefits are for the company are Okay, so the, the main uh, metric that you're tracking is retention, and you've mentioned some of the advantages and disadvantages of doing that. You know, 
in terms of tracking engagement, like this is so important. I'm not sure if, if founders actually realize how important company culture is and how important employee engagement is, because just what you were alluding to a little bit earlier, right? If your employees aren't happy, your customers will definitely not be happy because that's when they interact. If you have unhappy employees, it's going to piss off customers as well. And they're not going to be able to, they probably won't want to do business with you just because they've had this kind of negative experience. We, in our organization, we actually focus on culture so much so we have a culture book instead of an employee handbook a lot of these tips and tricks that we've learned is actually from this book called delivering happiness have you read this book by tony sia i think it's next on my blinkist list actually oh you're gonna yeah you're gonna love this book so tony he's the ceo of zappos he's done like a lot of unique things that most people don't do and Mm -hmm. it's He's very non-conventional. This is why I like like him as a founder. So one of the things that he used to do is he would offer a quit bonus after the training period. So this is something that we've actually implemented into our organization as well, where after a person is done with their training, we will actually offer them one month of salary to quit. And if they yeah. quit, then we know that we got rid of a good, you know, bad hire. But if they stay exactly. on, we know that they're yeah committed. We also track every aspect of the employee journey. So in terms of onboarding, training, etc., we, we're the metric that we're tracking is the ENPS. Have you heard of this? Yes. Yeah, the, we use ENPS. Yeah, yeah. And and I was actually thinking while you were talking about your app, if I can just have this automated and have it so easily, because right now it's a manual process. We have to send out surveys. We have to do all these things. But it's so important that even as a young startup, this is not something that I want to neglect. So we do face a lot of time. So I think what you're building with water is really needed. I hope a lot of founders actually do appreciate what you're doing because this is so important. Other founders believe it's a nice to have, but I actually believe that it's way more than that. It's, it's not a nice to have. This is the, the foundation that you need to have to build a resilient company. I, I, I totally so, agree. Uh, it's, it's amazing. It's so obvious the difference between an engaged employee and, an, and a disengaged employee. And when you see the work that, that someone who believes, right, okay, all business people complain that no one else loves their company as much as they do, right? Or, or most at least so you, you sat there and you're like I, I love this company I get it I, I, I want this and yet I can't make that person do the work and I think the if you can get to the point where your staff love the company as much as you do then it's incredible what you can achieve and I think that's what you're what you're saying there if you can make that your focus Richard Branson says if you look after your employees they'll look after your customers exactly as you just said you have a a lot less worries right if you know that your people love the company and it's I think people get sidetracked in what does this mean does this mean pool tables in the office does this mean pizza on a Friday does this mean company drinks does this and actually what it means is really clear uh, direction letting people know exactly where they are especially if you've got a younger employee uh, sort of workforce you need to give them autonomy to let them get on with things in their own way and and where I've struggled with that as a founder is you have to come to a realization that there are other ways to do things that are just as good as the way that you think you could do it so I catch myself a number of times being like oh yeah no that's not how I would do it but actually if I put that aside like it's really good and I really like it so I think you, you, you're spot on uh, there. and I'm, I'm glad to hear as someone who wants to make work better, that's a priority for you as well. As you said, alluded to quickly with surveys and manually tracking the NPS, you've got an issue with surveys, especially if they come out with your company's name on it. Is, is this truly anonymous? Can I, can I say what I need to say without fear of retribution? 
Uh, and especially if you've got people who are unhappy, it's often those people that you need to hear, but it's also those people who are, are, are reticent to, to say it because they're scared of the, the effects. And so that, that's where, as well, I think a, a product like ours allows you to bridge that, that gap. I tell my clients, like, it doesn't matter if your employees don't trust you as long as they trust us, because if they trust us, they'll tell you what's wrong and then you can fix it. And then you're always on that kind of like step of just always being better. How can we improve this? How can we how can we get people to trust us? What was the inspiration behind the name Water? W-O-T-E-R. <laughs> yeah, it was. To be honest, I, I don't know. We it, we were designing a logo. Uh, we were previously called My Centervise, which was a bit of a, a mouthful. And uh, we were designing a logo, and we came up with this idea that there should be a water, an otter, and a beaver, and that they signified different things. The beaver was the studious one, the, the hard worker, and the otter was the kind of more fun-loving, creative one. And that by playing these against each other, this would create a cool logo. I think that was a beer-fueled conversation. But where that that came from is deciding that actually we just really liked otters, and then <laughs> we moved on from there. And it's. I suppose, to be really honest about it, it's justified after the fact that it, it sounds very quick. It's a water. It's similar to a jotter. It's it's about getting in, getting out. We wanted something that was fast and dynamic. And when we just sat there and, and said, hey, how about water? It seemed to seemed to fit that fit that really well. And, and the response to it's been good. So no need to change it. Fraser, where can people learn more about water? And then as your, uh, learn more about you as well. So I'm reasonably private, but do get in touch with me on LinkedIn if you want to have a conversation. I'm, I'm always open to chats. If someone, if company, someone um, messaged you, if someone messaged you with a bottle of whiskey, would you say no to that? Oh no, of course no. I think the invite is even in my bio, right? So definitely get in touch. I'm always up for a chat. In terms of the company, our website is is water.me. So there's plenty of information on there and, and there's plenty of ways to get in touch with the chat function on there as well. And so, yeah, I'm game to talk to anyone, really. Fraser, you are amazing. Thank you so much for sharing your stories of resiliency. There was a lot of scary moments out there, but you're figuring it out. You're taking it one day at a time. And for a first time founder to be able to pivot and be as resilient as yourself, like I see big things happening for water. So thank you for coming on the show and sharing your story. And everyone else, we will see you on the next episode.